0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room podcast and BlueWire Network.
0: What do you think about the Laker team now? Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a
2: compliment.
3: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have
1: to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, so much of our discussion this season has been through the lens of lineups and schemes and on both ends of the floor. And I still think there are numerous issues on those fronts, but there are a lot of things on that happen on a basketball court that are not ultimately the responsibility of your coach. The coach doesn't make you jog instead of run, doesn't make you drop passes or just randomly cough it up or get the ball stripped because you're being too casual with the ball doesn't make you flat out lose your man because you weren't paying attention, doesn't make you get beat to nearly every 50-50 ball. The coach does not make you stand there while you're watching Steven Adams go at one of your teammates one-on-one on the boards without feeling compelled to help them. And the coach certainly doesn't make all of those things happen over and over and over again, the way that they did against Memphis. Now, I've had plenty of disagreements with the lineups and schemes and still do. And Avery Bradley continuing to start is probably at the top of my current list now that DeAndre Jordan's out of the starting lineup. But like we were saying over the text last night, guys, I totally understand why Avery Bradley starts on a team where like, it's because he's the only guy that plays hard pretty much every single time that he's on the floor. Now, he, in a lot of ways to me is the personification of that old John Wooden quote, don't mistake activity with achievement. And he does a lot of, there are so many plays where I'm watching and I'm like, Avery, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? Or he didn't see something. He didn't recognize something, but you never have to worry about Avery Bradley playing hard. Now, does that justify his starting position? I don't think so. It's not the point though, that I'm talking about here. Now, I understand that we signed a lot of dudes and have a lot of guys on this team that are not like scrappers, you know, not not somebody that ha- people that have that reputation. We got a lot of those guys on this roster. But even accounting for that, we have a team culture this season that tolerates way too low of a standard of effort. And until that's addressed, we're going to stay in this whole two steps forward, two steps backward cycle and pattern that we've been stuck in. Darius, I am... Greatly disappointed with last night's game. Where are you at? I'm of two minds about the game against Memphis. In
3: a normal NBA season, a normal NBA season, I would chalk up the game against Memphis as one of those games that happens. You could point to any number of factors, but like some nights you just don't have it. Some nights you just don't play hard. Some nights the other team plays harder. Some nights you get your butt kicked in a very specific way and like crawling your way out of that hole just ends up being more difficult than what you would anticipate it being just looking at the game on paper. There's an 82 games in in an NBA season, and that honestly might happen a dozen times. Yeah, it's not infrequent at all. Right. It's a thing that happens to every NBA team, like every season. And it's sort of like you'd almost be willing to forgive it all. Almost. If it were out of character. Except this has happened so many times this season to the Lakers that it's more commonplace than not. That's right. Like I thought Frank Vogel basically saying, like he got asked a very direct question. Were you surprised? that your Mm, team got mm -hmm. up by, it wasn't a big lead, but they were in control of the game. The Lakers were in control of the game. And Frank Vogel was asked, were you surprised that your team went up by X number of points and then let their foot off the gas? And Frank Vogel said, no. Our team has shown that they will do that. Yeah, he's like, have you been watching this team? (laughs) I was laughing because Chauncey Billups has been sort of going on like, Post-game tirades a fair amount uh, against his own team up in Portland, right? Like, he is, he has reminded me very much of, like, the Byron Scott years, which you were also sitting in front row for, Mike. Like, Chauncey has called his team soft. He has said that they don't have any pride. And he has used, like, the buzzwords of, like, outright attack, but use them against his own team. Like, and it takes a certain amount of gusto to be like that as a head coach. And most head coaches do not go down, down that road, right? Frank Vogel definitely does not. Instead, what Frank Vogel does is he normally couches terms, like he, he couches his criticism in just like, well, we need to do X more, right? And like, but this season he is... In the most Frank Vogel way, letting the clip fly a little bit more. And I thought last night, the sort of like, yep, this is what we do. We don't play. Basically, we don't play hard is what he like. We get up and we stop playing hard. And we make all these mistakes and we give the ball away and we and I feel like this was the much tamed down version of probably what was a version of the halftime rant that he went on a few games ago where it was was like, yes, like if you want to be excellent, stop doing all the shit that excellent teams basically throw in the
1: trash. And you guys have all been in the league long enough to know what those things are. Yes. Don't talk about about it. Be about it. Y'all are the raccoons of digging out the shit. Right
3: of things, that it's just like you're the trash can digging out all of the bad stuff and saying, "Hey, like look at this, look at my prize." Like I I'm feeling so good about turning the ball over and not helping down on on box outs and like having such an aversion to the little things that it's just like I don't understand what you're doing out there. Like there's just a certain amount of are you going to out go out there and compete? And try to win the game. And Mike, I thought the team came out with the right spirit. I thought LeBron was great to start the game. And I thought, and just in terms of effort, I thought everyone was on sort of the same page. And then slowly but surely, they were just like, ah, well, that was fun. Now I guess we'll just settle back into all of the habits. What's been most frustrating to me is that you hear buzzwords from players like LeBron talking about habits. Well, guess what? You're showing me your habits. Your habits are, we're not going to play very hard for the full game. Other teams know it too. And they're just going to keep coming at us. And guess what? We're going to be 500 because of it when they probably should be a good five or six games above 500 based off of the number of games which they have clearly controlled and then seemingly just let go of the rope on.
2: Oh, I've got a lot of stuff here, guys. I want to start with the Darius Displeasure scale just for a second. So, I'm I'm going to try I'm going to try to remove my own opinion from this for a second and just give you the collective of my text messages and tweets and just basically stuff coming in from Laker fans, right? Um which, you know, my phone was quite active last night. And first quarter, very impressed with LeBron's start, especially on defense. Now, he made a couple of tough turnovers, but just two blocks, a steal, passing lanes, getting up and down a transition, bully balling guys, uh, bully balling guys off of his body, finishing at the rim, hitting a jump shot, like really good energy, really good energy. And any whenever I see that LeBron, I'm like, win. Get, that that's a win that night because everybody else typically picks that up and carries it out over the course of the game. So LeBron sits and he. The first thing that was different that happened in last night's game is that because LeBron was in such such a nice rhythm and they had a time, Memphis had to call a timeout, he just stayed in past his usual rotation. What that did then was have him come out with a minute left in the first quarter and let him to not start the second quarter, which I think was one of the things that ended up throwing off what usually happens with that second unit. And I'm going to get to that, which was the biggest problem. But 28 seconds left. Memphis takes a bad foul. Westbrook misses two free throws. Legs are still up seven, could have been nine, whatever. And then the first sort of, this is the moment that I think the, the game shifted energy-wise. And coaches and some people around the league call these, these things like tryhards or certain players try And the Lakers just got battled and beat to a loose ball on a missed three. Xavier Tillman hits a three that cuts the lead to four. And that was the tone then that carried in throughout basically the whole second quarter. So this is when the DDS starts to come into play. Like we're, we're on like forgot to take trash out and it's late though. Still like not, not that big of a deal. That's right. <laughs> then you get into the second quarter and early in the second quarter, it's the group, it's Ellington, Monk, and Mello. These are three guys that are not defensive players. And the group that they're playing against are Memphis's tryhard guys. Guys that don't get to play often. It's John Conchar. It's Killian Tilly. It's Jarrett Culver who never even plays, uh, and so he typically isn't a tryhard. But he was in this case because he hasn't gotten to play basketball much. And those guys are just flying around the court, getting loose balls. Tillman as well, and boom! All of a sudden, the tone changes, and I very quickly, Darius, I'm up into like got home, pickup order is wrong, maybe approaching, got Montezuma's Revenge on honey on honeymoon. Like it it happens quickly because you saw what. What has happened so often this season and that we can't dismiss that I always do is, oh, this happens in the NBA. But since it's become part of the thing, that's when I think the almost anger starts to seep in from people that are watching the team play. People people hate this
1: team. I I talk to a lot of Laker fans, too. There are more people that I heard that 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 love the Lakers that say, I fucking hate this team. This year. I've heard more of that in through 25, 26 games than I've heard in years. And we've been, we were bad, like throw the championship season aside for a second. We've been bad for a minute. And it's easy to forget the old frustrations and stuff, but it's a different type of piss you off type of of, of team that I totally get.
2: Well, so I've got one other area to get to, but I do want Darius to come in quickly on this one. Like, were were you was the scale going here, or are you were you trying to detach yourself? In in a sense, like the way that you reasonably explained things earlier. Or were you were you straight like getting into the scale?
3: No, I was frustrated more with like individual players. Like Carmelo Anthony was just frustrating the hell out of me. I was just like, This dude said, I'm gonna microwave an entire sea bass. That's what it was stinky. <laughs> right? I was just like, wow, Oh, you put this, the is whole, like, like, this, this is number the great two. Like number two.
2: Yeah. The door's this is number even, two on the scale. Yeah,
3: the microwave door like don't even want to close, right? He's like folding <laughs> it in half. There's a giant sea bass. It's like twenty pounds. It shouldn't even fit in the microwave. Because <laughs> because he was just doing he was just doing some of the early season mellow stuff where I thought oh my goodness like it resembled one of those like off season workouts right where it's just like oh swing to you and I'm the only guy that's on the court. Like he was doing a lot of that stuff. Like, oh, ball fake, one dribble, pull up, twenty footer, bang, I got it. Except it's like back rim
2: every time. There was like, well, oh, and the, look, and there's the defensive a end was yeah, the defensive end was worse.
1: Right. Well, and he was one of the guys that was casual with the ball. There were so many times where he like grabbed the rebound, goes through the motions, and one of the tryhards, which has kind of a a connotation to it that I don't like yes. because you have to try hard. I wish we had more tryhards on our team, right? <laughs> no, and no, I know that's it, not it, your but, point, but yeah.
2: Yes, it, and it, it's supposed to be though. Like that's that is the point, right? Like it's yeah. and it's relative to players with more talent that aren't doing it. so. In in some ways, it's a compliment. In some ways, it's like assessing a guy's skill set. But th- this is the point I want to tie together, though, and it's about stars. And like so, LeBron James is in year nineteen, and not only should he not be a- expected to carry like a full game of playing like John Contar plays. He physically can't do it. Anthony Davis is, uh, is way low on my list of problems. And he actually is trying pretty hard on both ends. pretty consistent. Now, could he be more aggressive? Sure, but there are reasons for that because he's playing with two other super high usage guys um, that have the basketball. And he's also having to cover for a bunch of defensive mistakes. Then there's Russell Westbrook. And we know what his game has been like over the years. So he's, he's one of those stars that isn't always giving you consistent energy and defense and and all that kind of stuff. So when you have those as your guys and people take cues from that, that's when you need the rest of the guys on the roster to not do what the Lakers did in the second quarter. You cannot have the guys that are, that are because stars around the league guys do this. The only, maybe the only star right now that can play with that full constant motor is Giannis like most other stars, Mike and Giannis plays in six minute bursts. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, th- so this is why you have to have the role players that do all of the dirty work and do all of that stuff. And part of it, part of it I think, could be fixed some with, with balancing, like not having Ellington and Monk aligned and not having Bradley and THT or something, even just splitting those. So there are some things I think they could do to mitigate. But it, when it's happened so often the season, I don't think it's just an effort thing. I think it's because players have a certain way of playing.
1: 100%. And I want to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about a specific play that speaks exactly to your point, Mike, about that being habitual. And the, one of the ways that I think we can address it even before going into tactical uh, uh, options, which are certainly uh, options as well. Lakers basketball is finally back. And there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com slash LFR today And use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets.
3: Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code film room.
1: There's a play with 8.59 left in the second quarter, and it was a corner out-of-bounds play. And I bring that up because this is a specific part of the playbook where sometimes the ball gets knocked out of bounds, and it's right where the baseline and the sideline meets, right in the corner. And it's Memphis's ball. And the reason there's a whole part of the playbook is that from that particular spot, inbounding the ball from the corner is difficult. It's an opportunity. A lot of steals can come from that because if you think about it, just spatially, one side, you can't go up the sideline and then up the baseline is very difficult. The angle's sharp if you want to actually make the pass inbound. And a, a cross-court pass is difficult because you got to get air on that, but the basket's in the way. So just getting the ball inbounds from the corner is one of the more difficult things to do in professional basketball. A good team will use that as an opportunity to, hey, we're going to defend the ball handler, and maybe we don't give crazy effort jumping up and down and waving our arms all over the place on every play, but on this play, this is a good opportunity for us to jump a passing lane, get a steal, and get out into transition like we like, okay? So, and I'm going to pick on Wayne Ellington on this play in part because nobody really has an anti-Wayne Ellington agenda. That's one of the things I want to avoid in this pod. We were talking before, like I got a rant about pretty much every player on the team. And that fact is why I don't want to be like, and it's you, you're the problem. And so I'm picking Ellington because Ellington all in all has been very good, should be a part of the rotation and nobody has an agenda against Wayne. But just know that in picking on Wayne, I could be picking on any other guy on the team on half a dozen plays in last night's game. So Wayne Ellington is defending Jarrett Culver, who Mike, you just said, has not been playing. And Xavier Tillman comes up to set a a back screen on Wayne, and Wayne eats the whole screen, right? He gets screened. Big time. And what that partially speaks to is Wayne was not peeking over his shoulder like he was supposed to be. But also, I, uh, it was I think Dwight was the five. Dwight was the five in this group and in that second quarter group that you were talking about, Mike. And part of that is when your big doesn't call out hey, left, left, left. That's what's happening on the court. You can even hear it at court level is. And what that means is when you're guarding a player on the perimeter, you can't see where the screen's coming from. So it's the responsibility of the defensive big man to be like, hey, you got a screen coming up on one side. So anyway, there are already a couple of mistakes in this place from from role players. Wayne eats all of the screen and Culver cuts toward the opposite lane line. Now this is a really sharp angle pass and on these corner series plays, you rarely get that pass through. But after eating the whole screen, the, the, the way that Wayne did, he jogs to catch up with Culver, who's created separation because he ate the screen. He jogs to go after him knowing that Very rarely does this pass ever get made. But because he jogged, Jarrett Culver is open and he catches it. And now he's bigger and stronger than Wayne right around the basket and leans into him and gets a layup off of the backboard, off of this corner series that, again, it's very difficult to inbound the ball. They get a layup right underneath the basket for a couple of reasons, but just focusing on Wayne. Our vet minimum players should never feel that comfortable on the floor. A guy like Wayne Ellington plays 12 to 14 minutes per game. He plays two shifts. And what's being asked on that is like, first off, you're going to eat screens. Sometimes things like that are going to happen. What that needs to trigger though is, oh, I got to catch up. I got to j- do my job. I got to, you know, I, there's some separation. I got to sprint toward him. Again, this could be any one of a few dozen plays from last night from any particular player. But there's a certain lacking of a, like guys are too comfortable doing that sort of thing. And one of the advantages of having a roster with as many vet men guys is there's a guy on the bench that is pretty close to you as a, in terms of caliber of player. There's not that big a difference. He'll fit in better in some situations than others. But you've got Austin Reeves and Kent Bazemore getting DNPs. We've got like seven guards on this team. And now this is a whole other discussion discussion about the roster composition and all of that. But I'm not saying that a Wayne Ellington should not be part of the rotation because he made a defensive mistake like that. But I think there has to be some standard of, look, if you're doing that, if you're making mistakes like that, it's not a foot speed mistake. It's not a more athletic guy beat Wayne Ellington. It's you were not locked in on that play. There's a couple guys on the bench, Mike, that can come in after that. And so that's that's something that it's not just with Wayne. There's just a level of accountability and that's to me that's a perfect situation where you go like Bays, go get him. And that gives Bayes an opportunity to show what he has. Right. And so the only player amongst our vet men guys, Mike, that I I think has a certain degree of like if he doesn't play who does right now is mellow just in terms of positionally and even that changes when Ariza gets back so I I think that we need to raise and this isn't just from a coaching perspective it's from the player perspective as well just raise the level of accountability and standard of like what is acceptable on the basketball court
2: oh man well to to harken quickly back to 1920 um which I just I, I know I probably do too often but to try to do this for context there wasn't really one guy on the court that was going to yell at somebody when they didn't make the type of play that they had to like uh, that sort of on court accountability that you know Chris Paul is famous not always in a good way for it's been a good way for Phoenix here it certainly war on teammates in the past but uh, or Draymond Green right is very notable for where if the Warriors role players do that, he not only is calling them out, he's calling them out on the court and Absolutely. yelling and screaming at them. That is not uh, that is not A B style, and nor nor should have. He shouldn't try to change. That's not him. Russ doesn't do that, and LeBron doesn't really do it. That's right. He looked annoyed so, last
1: night, though. I don't know what it looked like from no, your he, perspective on TV. He looked and, really and annoyed. He should have been. Yeah, he should have yeah.
2: been really annoyed. I, I was totally with like any annoyance that LeBron was. LeBron. Darius, what's bigger than the type of fish that you mentioned? Is there another type of fish you could try to throw in, a, like one of those big tunas or something? Yeah, something like that, right? I don't know. <laughs> like that's the level that he should have been annoyed at something going in the microwave like that because the context of his whole career and all the effort and energy that he's put out and then for him to still be the guy that's basically playing the hardest in the first quarter of a game at Memphis, on just unacceptable. So, all right, that, that all in context – but what do they do about that? Because right. that's not going to change. And so in a, a head coach has to be very careful. You just alluded to this a second ago, Darius, with what Chauncey does, right? Yeah. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, no, no,
1: different approaches. There are I, – I refer to those coaches as the strongmen, right? There are, there are strongmen oh, okay. coaches. Like so, so Like Tibbs, who, like Tibbs can, on the – yes. Right. That's the thing is like – That's one of the things I love about basketball is that there's a few different approaches and there's a good way of doing it and there's a bad way of doing it, right? Where it's not necessarily the approach that doesn't work, but you have to have a certain amount of cachet and credibility and personality, which isn't to say that Vogel doesn't have the credibility. Of course he does. But he's not that, like, he's going to get right in an mf face and call him a bunch of names in 11. You know what I'm saying? That's just not who he is. Yes,
2: it's it's a good clarification. I guess the the way that I should have said it is that, like, that's not what Frank Vogel either is or should be doing because that's not true to for what sure. is the kind of guy that he is for sure um whereas like for Tibbs that that like th- a whole quick aside that's why the Knicks were really good on defense last year and it's also part of the reason why the Knicks aren't as good this year because guys get sick of hearing that unless they've got some of the, the talent to do it and so w- where I'm kind of turning now to Darius here is well you're not necessarily going to get that on court accountability for the guys that aren't doing their jobs, def- the role players that aren't doing their jobs defensively, especially from the, the stars in the court. It's it's not really coming in that way, you know, from the head coach. And so the, the one thing that you do then maybe is what Pete was essentially alluding to, like, OK, Austin Reeves and Ket Baysmore, you're two guys that I at least know are going to do that. So we're going to sacrifice. And then now I'm talking myself in circles because they did that earlier in the season. And that didn't quite work either, and they didn't get a consistent rotation out of it. So it's um it's a lot. It's not unfixable. I just said 20 things. Uh, Darius, please save me.
3: I'm going to save you right when we come back from this break, Mike, because I got some stuff to say about all of this, too.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: So Pete, Mike, one of the things I've been kicking around in my head is that the Lakers are so close. Like for it's all the stuff that we just talked about, for all the stuff that we just talked talked about and for how frustrated we are, I think a part of my frustration at least is knowing that they're close. It's tantalizing. They're close. And that it's so close and then they're they keep running into this brick wall that they are actually laying the brick themselves right it's 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 almost like yeah let's go in this direction and then you turn and there's the wall but then yesterday you built the wall yourself and you're just like what the hell am i doing right like you're you are tricking yourself into making the wrong decision too often and so i do think that the most powerful tool a coach has is playing time It always has and always will be, right? And I do think that at a certain point, there is, Frank does need, so here's the thing. Frank needs to deploy lineups consistently in order to get the best out of players. He has not had that opportunity often enough this season based off of player availability, injuries, and all of this other stuff, right? And so on some level, I give him a pass in that way. Over the last week or so, he has just started to develop what I think the best version of this team is going to look like in terms of the nine or so players who are going to play each, each night. Once that is in place, that's when you can then start to be like, oh, no, you're not giving the requisite effort. We're going to the 10th guy and the 11th yeah, guy and, yeah. and, and, and the 12th guy. So there is a – I think that that formula is now just starting to be in place where Frank can now, over the next week or two, start to say, "Bays, Austin. Get in there for for Wayne. You get in there for Monk, right? Like, start to swap out some of the guys, even going smaller
2: and saying, "Go get Mello."
3: Yeah, right. Like, there's because
2: or, or you're what, getting what worked t- with replacing DeAndre with Dwight in Sacramento, right?
3: Yes, like there is enough like sized players and and and. and ability in terms of like similarity of ability and in some ways skill set not necessarily with Melo because he's sort of an outlier as like the one stretch forward that's on the team but at some point say we're going to steal five five minutes and we're just going to go smaller right anyways the point i was making at the beginning of of this is i do think the lakers are close and one thing i think that they can do is they can start to reshape the they can start to I I mentioned this to you guys last night is they are just a little bit out of balance still with the lineup deployment and the personnel deployment within the structure of these lineups. So I think the structure of the lineups is fine, right? AD at the five, LeBron at the four, three smallish or smaller dudes. There's one more step to take, right? So right now they're starting Bradley and THT right who are two of their quote unquote better defensive players both of them thrive though as sort of on on ball defenders and both of them have been getting lost off off ball both of them are also not necessarily shooters at least they're not treated as shooters by by the defense and the bench unit that really struggled this past game against Memphis and on honestly has struggled defensively, but they have had some good offensive shifts, is a group that has Mello and Monk and Wayne, right? And so I think that you uh I think they need to take one of Wayne and Monk and replace one of Bradley and THT in the starting lined lineup. A. What do both of you think of that sort of general concept? Not necessarily like who for who. I have an idea of what I would do in terms of who for who. But just in terms of the general idea, like where do you all stand? Am I off base with sort of what I'm projecting on to the team here?
2: No, I think that's the very natural thing to do and the easiest thing to do. And then maybe with all of the discussions that we just had about player effort and energy, and maybe that can fix itself by just having the balance better. That you alluded to, it'd be helpful, but yeah. And then in that second quarter, right? Instead, so if you have if you have either Bradley or THT or even like Reeves, and in instead of Monk and Ellington, maybe that one guy is gets to that loose ball, and and then that that kind of cuts out the Memphis momentum in a way, like something is something little like that. So the I get, but it, this kind of to kick it back to Pete here. When when you're watching the film and Bradley is the guy that is sort of giving that role player effort, I I sort of get it, but I just think that the the com- the combination of the analytics of his on off stuff and the way that teams are sort of able to to take advantage of of him off the ball that that's probably been enough where that like Bradley is either to the bench or at times replaced by Reeves, or or, you know, going, maybe the, the version of Rondo where, all right, this guy's out. We really need somebody to just come in and organize the offense for five minutes. Maybe Bradley's the guy where, okay, he's in the game. That's the signal that we're not bringing the proper defensive uh, intensity tonight, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and then, and he comes in and he does that. He energizes and then he goes back to the bench and the guy that that got replaced by him, the signal in his head is I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And instead of having to be yelled at by a star or a coach, Pete, you're kind of doing it with that, with that move. So yeah, yeah, that's the enforcement component,
1: It's very, it's important uh, for a head coach to have enforcement components. And in the NBA, you have fewer of them than you do as a coach at any other level, right? Like I go back to my high school days and you absolutely had to have some times during practice where it's like, all right, now all y'all motherfuckers on the baseline. You know what I mean? Like get on the line, get on the line. Get and and that's line. what I say a baseline, right? Like yeah. throughout the gym, like, and everyone knew what that meant. And killers, and,
2: Pete, that was my best skill uh, in high school, in varsity basketball. Yeah. I'm like, okay, coach. All right. I'm not losing a killer. I'm not losing a killer. That's,
1: that's right. And you know, it's the, the one right thing I can control, the right coach will love you for that. And that's it. That's, it's not a, like, I hate when that goes too far in the other direction. I was not the strong man, disciplinarian head coach. That's not my personality, right? My, I'm more of a like, I got like, we're going to work together. I care about all you guys as players, as people. Let's do the damn thing. That's my like motivational style. But what can come with that is people think you're soft, right? People think that, the and especially young young men, right? That are figuring out who they are and feeling themselves a little bit. And every once in a while, we gotta, like, get on the base, like we're getting baseline. And there'll be some practices, well, that's what we did the whole practice because of, of some context. Now you can't, Hit your, put your foot on that gas all the time. And you certainly can't be doing that with NBA players in the middle of a season with an old roster where you're not putting LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony baseline and having them run. You know what I'm saying? So the enforcement components on the NBA level for a coach are much, much fewer. One of them though is playing time. And so that is in terms of like, look, we've got this problem. How do we address it? There's a certain amount, amount like... Part of the argument earlier in the season for starting DeAndre Jordan was you need to give everybody – like they're veterans. You need to give everybody a certain amount of chance to succeed or fail first. I agree with that to a point, and I certainly understand the – I, I certainly understand the rationale behind that, but there's that phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And one of the ways that you can do that is trying to please everybody and make everybody happy. And in reality, we got a lot of replacement level players on this team. But one of the few advantages, D, that you have with that is be like, look, if you're not bringing it, like we don't have to make, you don't have to play. You don't have Pete, to play. Everyone's gotten their chance now. Yes. Everyone's gotten their chance. Look, I was
3: understanding and sympathetic to Vogel. The injuries hit. He had limited options. He went to these other dudes who were deeper on on onto the bench. It sort of aligned and coalesced with what we think are sort of his philosophies about basketball and how he wants to play. And then he got criticized for playing lineups that were junky. Right. And now he has gone more and more away from those lineups. And he has taken he has progressively taken another step and another step and another step away from those lineups, which we all thought were crappy lineups. I thought they were crappy lineups. And, you know. I'm not friends with Frank Vogel, but if I was, I probably would have found an eloquent way to explain to him that I thought that these lineups were not going to be successful over the course of of an NBA game. But he has gotten more and more away from from those. I do suggest mm-hmm. that he make one last tweak, give that tweak 10 to 15 games. And my guess is that if he gave that tweak 15 games, the Lakers might go 10 and 5. I agree. They might go 11 and 4 or mm-hmm. 12 and 3. I think that they are that close. Here, I really do, but everyone's gotten their chance now. It's no more about like, oh, we're going to be the happy warriors, not the warriors to Golden State Warriors, just the happy warriors that coalesce and come together. It's like, no, 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 no. You're 13 and 13, or, or you're 500 through 25 games, 26 games. And if there's going to be a point where you are a team that is no longer five 500 through 40 games... Through 50 games, through 60 games, then you need to start holding the players accountable in the only way that players at this level understand accountability.
1: Where do our superstars fall in line with that? The top three, because that's the kind of the elephant in the room here, and I think we're all of the mind that like AD is getting a disproportionate amount yes. of of the blame. I, I don't want to get into a defensive AD right now. I do think that it's appropriate, but in terms of the enforcement, I talked about some of the coaches' tools as enforcement components. The leadership of the players is more important in this respect, in this like, what are we going to be? Who are we are? When you? you, we were talking about Draymond being that guy or Chris Paul, Mike, you were saying Chris Paul being that guy for their team of like, no, 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 no. It's not slipping below this standard. I don't care who the coach is. Not about the coach. It's about us. It's about me. I will not allow this to happen. There has to be some degree of that from our stars, right? There does. And I'm very interested. To
3: see who is going to step up in that regard. Post-game, I've been happy with Anthony Davis's comments in post-game circumstances. He is not going to be that guy during the game, though, that is basically like shouting a guy down. LeBron James-led teams have always been about sort of like self-accountability, right? Right and the players just sort of doing what they're supposed to be doing it's one of the reasons why i thought the team in 2019-20 was so well put together it's because the veteran guys and a lot of the role players on on the team were those self-starter types right like it was danny green who is the personification of professional role player right it was alex caruso it was kcp Even Kyle Kuzma, all of these guys sort of understood what the asks were of them, and they were all sort of, in their own way, Mike, tryhards, right? Like, they were guys who had been undervalued, or guys who had been told that they no longer had it, or they were guys who sort of had a chip on their shoulder to get to the next level within their careers, all, all of them. And there's really not a guy like that on this year's roster. Maybe Austin Reeves is the closest you're going to get to that. I think that the player component is super important, Pete. I think the superstar part of it is super important. I also think that there has to be a meeting of the minds, not only amongst the head coach and and the superstar players, but also amongst like the general manager. December 15th is fast approaching. You know when December 15th is? It's the first day that you can make trades for the players who were signed to new contracts this offseason. I'm not proposing the Lakers make a trade. If I were leading the team, I might, right? But I would be looking at the mix of this group and being like, hey, we've got 25 or 30 games of this group. We don't have maybe enough of this. We have a lot of this other thing, but not enough of this. I may be trying to get some of that other thing that could be helpful within the context of similarly priced and skilled players, right? Which is what happens with a bunch of veteran
2: minimum guys. I just want to say about the star thing. I, I just, we have, we have a lot of information about how these stars act and are. And one thing that over the years I've kind of grown to admire about LeBron and this is in a different way from what I admired about Kobe as a leader but they they have their style and while Kobe certainly adapted from when he was with Shaq to when he was the team leader and he evolved certainly but he still was at his core you know he stayed true same to dude. what he yeah. was Yeah, same dude he just but he you know he different circumstances but yeah same dude and so let's not expect that LeBron is going to turn into Chris Paul or Draymond Green in the way that he's going to, and he, and he shouldn't because his way has worked. And sometimes, sometimes not being super direct with certain guys, it it works in a different way. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of back to like Westbrook's coming in. And, and if LeBron's there, Westbrook's not going to come in and do that because LeBron's there and AD is not going to supersede LeBron. So this that to me is sort of set, and we shouldn't expect otherwise. And it's got to come from either basically when you when, when you guys and Darius you just most recently said this being close. It might be just one really gl- one glue guy, and I get that Trevor Reza is the name that we keep associating because he's the one that's on the roster. But it might have to be a trade, and it might have to be yeah. for to uh two vets or a couple of the main guys right plus a future pick in some way to get just one more guy and not not necessarily again i don't want to use try hard because uh as pete rightly brought up it can be i can diminish a guy's skill set especially being in the nba but somebody who's got a skill set but also you don't ever have to question the effort and the energy part or the defensive part and one one more guy could could balance the rest of the roster just one of those guys it doesn't have to be LeBron yelling at everybody or like that's it it could be one more guy
3: Mike I remember this story that Channing Frye and Richard Jefferson told when Channing Frye was acquired by the Cavs and Channing Fry and it reminded me of the story that you told me Mike or, or that you've said on the pod before too about when you first came to the team and you're just like why is your mindset like this guys like you guys are the best team y'all should be having fun like the mentality around this group should be like you're gonna go out there and kick everyone's ass like you're better than everyone else like i don't understand the the sort of dourness around your mindset and channing Fry and richard jefferson told the story about how when they acquired channing to the calves he was sort of like he came in and he was just like wait what's going on y'all got lebron james and Kyrie irving and kevin love and y'all are the favorites in the east and like y'all should be having a good old time here i like i don't understand and then he partnered up with his old arizona buddy and and richard jefferson and then it was sort of like better vibes right and it's not always about oh and channing fry had a useful skill set he was a stretch five he came in he wasn't this sort of defensive little things guy but That's what I started to think about, Mike, when you were talking about like swapping out and just sort of changing the chemistry within the group a little bit. It could mean that one or two swap outs for just a different type of dude could be helpful to this group. I'm I don't have any suggestions on that front. I do think, though, that it's been too long now, Pete, with this group sort of like running in mud a little bit. And while I do think that they're close, it's like an NBA game, like the game against the Clippers, for example. They were close, and they were close, and they were close, and then you don't get over the hump, and then suddenly you lose. And it's sort of just like, when you're close, you better break through. Because if you don't break through, you're going to fall off, and then that's all that there was to say. And you will be the team that underachieved.
1: I'm still at a step before Making roster moves, which isn't to say that I disagree. I've thought that we've needed to balance the roster uh, now in a little different way than than others have thought in a lot of instances, but I don't think that this has been the this is the final version of the roster, nor has any of our rosters the last couple of seasons, the one at the beginning of the year been the same that finished it. but I think that our problem is more core than that, in which addressing that with another try hard type of guy would be helpful for sure, but I think that we have to establish a certain standard across the board. Like this is an across the team type of thing. And I I singled out Wayne Ellington, but it could be anybody and it could be everybody holding each other accountable of like, Hey, no, collectively we have to do better than this certain standard. And I think that the way you, you described it, Mike with Russ and AD's style and LeBron is not like the same style of leader is like a Kobe, but he is at the top of our leadership pyramid. Ultimately, the basketball things that happen with this team, LeBron is at the top. LeBron is our, our biggest leader. And so the cultivating change and getting us mo- moving in the right direction will have to come from LeBron at the top. What that is, that's uh we're going to have a lot more conversations about that. We can all, we all have our ideas. I'm with you guys on like roster moves and things like that. I just think that there's something more core with us right now that's that's important.
2: Yeah, I I just think it's both. I think it's both. And there's no sure. better way for LeBron to lead for in Memphis than to come out like he did energy-wise in the first quarter. For but sure. this team, as you said, has to find has to come to some understanding of the way they're going to play. And then also, since they're the Lakers, they will add a buyout guy or they will make a trade for somebody that's out of a different thing and add a piece. Like It could be one. So I I just think both those things can happen this year. For
1: sure. Multiple things are are often true and usually are in the NBA. All right. We went long on this one. We have another game tonight at OKC. Lord help us. (laughs) we'll be back tomorrow to cover it here oh no we will not be back here tomorrow it's friday thank god i don't have to talk about this freaking team for a couple of days all right y'all hang in there let's get a couple w's this weekend swing the momentum back the other way you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time
3: James has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn these double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy Tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores That's magic got
1: it magic fires it's good and-
2: Three seconds left. That next Exel, the winner. It. It's on the way. Kobe no! Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block, shot that ties
0: an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans standing around so, for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston.
2: Of all places. Are you kidding me, Kobe? Hard to believe. Are That's you kidding it. me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for saw Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two,
0: That's where it's one, it's, it. It. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's over? Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yeah with a
2: little tap to alvin gentry that insult the injury kobe i mean what a shot i mean you can't defend that are you kidding me 2.1 seconds remaining denver a foul to give Jokic trying to disrupt rondo he puts it in here's davis four three in the win oh
0: it's good anthony davis has won it for the lakers james again oh he hits another one lebron james